You're about to listen to Grace Pills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor at Caris Center International. Reverend Josh Lai is a preacher of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed as you listen. So let's get down to business. Last week, we treated the church part two. And so today we're going to look at part three. But let me do a recap of all that we did for last week. What we are talking about is simply how to exercise your spirit to live the excellent life or the excellent way of life, what we say is the excellent culture. Okay, so this is the life we are born again to live. This is the life we are born again to live. And I said that you can exercise your spirit by number one, through the word, number two, prayer, number three, fasting. And we are on the last, the fellowship of ourselves together, what we call church. Now, last week, what we looked at was the intensity of our bond. The intensity of our bond. The intensity of our bond. And we looked at Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 19, where it actually speaks to the fact that we are ministers of reconciliation to the world. In other words, if God has reconciled somebody's sin, you cannot hold their sin against them. And then you cannot hold somebody's sin against them and then go out to witness to another person to reconcile them back to God. It is a form of hypocrisy and it doesn't actually make sense. We also spoke regarding 1 John 4, 8. But if a person isn't loving and kind, it shows he doesn't know God, for God is love. What, do we, what did we take there? If a brother or a sister in the Lord isn't loving and kind, they don't have an intimate knowledge of God's nature. Or they are serving God. They don't have any knowledge of or very little knowledge of. In other words, they have turned against how they were engrafted or adopted into the fellowship of the brethren. Let me say it again. First John 4, 8 tells us that if a brother or a sister in the Lord isn't loving and kind, they don't have an intimate knowledge of God's nature or they are serving the God they have little or no knowledge of. In other words, they have turned against how they were engrafted or adopted into the fellowship of the brethren. We also looked at Romans chapter 5 verse 8. 
In other words, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what does that teach us? We learned that God's contribution to the fellowship is the giving of his son through the blood. God's contribution to this fellowship is the giving of his son through the blood. We cannot earn it. We cannot earn it. We cannot earn it. And then the next scriptural verse was 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are now children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay? What does that tell us? We do not see ourselves in our temporary state, but what we shall be on the day of redemption. Christians or believers do not see themselves in their temporary state, but we see ourselves in the state of permanent redemption, how we shall be on that day and forever. It also teaches us that we have one common identity, the blood. One common identity, the blood. In other words, the church becomes the leveler and the equalizer. Not our background, age, height, degrees, wealth, status, etc. These make no difference at all. They don't make any difference at all. We also looked at Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. And we looked at it through 2.45. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized on that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then the fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who were believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. What did we learn from there? Number one, we continue church in the apostles' doctrine. We continue to teach in church the apostles' doctrine. So like students to their lecturer, the believer in teaching scriptures does not create, does not improvise, nor innovate. In teaching and interpreting scriptures, we don't create, improvise, or innovate.
That's why it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Number two, they were in fellowship with one another. So they were in fellowship. They shared all things in common. They shared all things in common. They shared all things in common. They were together. And because of that, signs and wonders broke in the church and in their evangelistic ministries. Acts 4.32 was the next verse. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. Was his own, sorry. But they had all things in common. Once again, you can see the emphasis of the togetherness of the saints. So what we particularly learned with this text is that as the church, we must have one heart, one heart, one heart. The same passion, same pursuits, same priorities. It also said that they had one soul. In other words, one mind, sorry, one mind, choices and emotions tilted towards the same goal. They had one mind, choices and emotions tilting towards the same goal, Christ. Christ became their goal. Christ became their objective. And everybody was looking to that. Personal agendas were in the background, were relegated to the background. Everybody was focused on Christ. Christ. And what he had asked them to do, to spread the gospel and make disciples unto all nations. We also saw in that text that Christianity is not a personal faith. They were all together in fellowship, breaking bread, praying together. And they sold their goods to support one another. So Christianity is not a personal faith. No, we are called into fellowship with one another. We are called into fellowship with one another. We also looked at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 to 6. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one 
another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as we were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all of you. Wow. So what does this teach us? Number one, we must walk worthy of our calling in humility, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let me go again. We are admonished to walk worthy of our calling in humility, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? It says from the 4 to verse 6, why are we to do so? Because we are all a part of one body. We are all a part of one body. Born of one spirit or sealed by one spirit. Submitted to one Lord. We submit to one Lord. We share one faith. We share one faith. And how did we share the faith and how do we share the faith? What happened? We are baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. One baptism. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were resurrected with him. And now together we came out and we worship one God, one Father of all who is above all and through all and in us all. Praise God. Hallelujah. We also looked at Romans chapter 15, 25 to 29, where he talked about the church of Macedonia being generous to the Jerusalem church, especially those who are poor and needy. And they said that they see themselves as debtors to the Jerusalem church because out of the Jerusalem church they had the gospel and believed and therefore they are now into the fellowship of the brethren and so they say they owe them because they released for them to have the gospel and so the only thing they can do the little they can do is to give to the poor materially in their Jerusalem church. So what do we learn? In the church, spiritual things are greater than material things. In the church, spiritual things are greater than material things. Hence, 
those who receive spiritual things are debtors to the donors in material things. Those who receive spiritual things are debtors to the donors in material things. In other words, those who receive material things become debtors of those who gave them spiritual things. Praise God. And then last but not the least, we looked at Genesis chapter 2, verse 6 to 10. This is where Apostle Paul spoke to the fact that God is not partial and that when the heads of the church realized the grace of God upon him, they gave him the right hand of fellowship. What did we learn in Galatians chapter 2, 7, sorry, 6 to 10? We must give one another the right hand of fellowship just as Peter, James, and John gave brother Paul. We must give one another the right hand of fellowship just as Peter, James, and John gave brother Paul. They also emphasized the sharing of spiritual things and material things in our shared faith and fellowship. We also saw the emphasis of sharing in both spiritual and material things in our fellowship and our shared faith. Praise God. Now can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word for today. I thank you for the release. I thank you that there shall be no errors, there shall be no contradictions. The word of God shall be divided accurately to the glory of your name. May your intent and purposes be heard with clarity as we see ourselves in you and share the inheritance for which you have left for us in your word. We decree in the name of Jesus, I see transformed lives. At the end of the day, may you be glorified and we be edified. Amen. Well, we kick off with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13 to 15. This is the church, part 3, or the fellowship of ourselves together, part 3. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now, Apostle Paul was actually looking 
to make the church understand that we are each other's keeper. In other words, today when you have much, make sure you supply the one who has need. And when they also have much, some day to come, they can also supply to your need. Okay, so we must understand that as a church, we are supposed to nourish ourselves together and share what we have together. And so he quoted actually what God told the Israelites regarding what the rich man should do and what they must do to the poor. He says that when the rich man gathers from their harvest, they must make sure that they don't waste any so that they make sure they leave some for the poor to, make, to come and glean. So it is key that if you have much, you don't leave out the poor and make them suffer. No. In other words, when people have so much, they must make sure that what they have is not just for them as believers, but they must make sure that they share with those who need in the church. But note this, this must be done structurally so that people don't take advantage of other people. And that's exactly how they did it in the church. In, in Acts of the Apostles, they brought it to the apostles' feet and there was a welfare and they dealt accordingly to the needs of those people who needed what has been given. 2 Corinthians 9.13-15 2 Corinthians 9.13-15 Paul wrote a lot to the Corinthian church regarding the giving for one another because he really had to persuade them a lot before they had to give and so he spoke a lot regarding that because they didn't have the understanding of so much sharing like the new testament church so he actually reprimanded them that they had a lot a lot of of, of spiritual gifts but they lack they lack giving the giving ministry, the understanding of giving one to the other and giving to the work of ministry. Second Corinthians 9.13 While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, who is this indescribable gift? Christ Jesus and the salvation he wrought for us. And he says that when people give, they actually pray for you and they thank God for you. Okay, so people don't cease to pray when we bless them, both spiritually and materially. And it becomes the proof of our ministry. Actually, James also speaks to this when he says that we should see to the poor because faith must go together with works. Otherwise, it makes our works dead. And I think I explained that last week, Wednesday, during our portals of divine supply, supply service. Okay, so what he's talking about, the proof of ministry, is that when you are saved, show the proof of your salvation by being a blessing to people. Okay, so your justification before God is settled. Nobody can touch it. 
But then you need to make sure that your faith is become, becomes an extension of a blessing to people. So that people can also justify your faith and actually see your faith as relevant to them. Okay, if your faith is going to be relevant to people, you have to be a blessing to them. A blessing, a blessing to them spiritually or a blessing to them materially. All right, whichever way, make sure that the proof of your ministry is very evident so that people will bring glory or give glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, for many of us, the word brother in church is something we use just as a title. We actually don't really understand. So when a brother is going through something, most likely we laugh at them. Most likely we gossip about them. Most likely we criticize and judge them so quickly because we don't really understand the nature of the bond. And I think we have looked extensively at the intensity of the bond and we're still looking into it. And you can realize that our union is the union of a spirit. We are so much, we so much have an intense relationship, you have no idea. Because Christ Jesus knitted us together and all of us have become a part of his body. And that's why he said we are members of his body. Alright, so your brother in the Lord is a brother indeed. And we're going to really look into that so you have an understanding that when a sister in the Lord or a brother in the Lord is going through something, you must see it like you are going through it as well. Your heart must burn for them. You, you must have a burden to see them do well. You must have a burden to see them go on and fight the good fight of faith. You must actually love to see them prosper spiritually and materially in the Lord Jesus. It is our responsibility towards one another. Look at what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 to 11. I'm reading from the TLB, the Living Bible. And it was right and proper that God who made everything for his own glory should allow Jesus to suffer. For in doing this, he was bringing vast multitudes of God's people to heaven. For his suffering made Jesus a perfect leader, one fit to bring them into their salvation. So Jesus had to suffer for you and I to be knitted together in this fellowship and in this union. Okay, and that's why it behooves on all of us to be able to suffer for one another. Okay, this is so key to understand that we don't live in comfort while we see our brother languishing in pain and in lack. It doesn't speak well of our nature nature the nature of God in us is the nature of love Romans chapter 5 says he poured out his love into our hearts so in your heart there is so much love let the evidence of your love be seen in how you suffer for your brother in the Lord you suffer for your sister in the Lord you you you, you lay down your life for people 
Jesus did that for us to bring us into fellowship with himself. Look at 11. He said, we who have been made holy by Jesus now have the same father he has. Praise God. So we share the same father with Jesus. Whatever the father shares with Christ, the father also shares with us. In other words, we and Christ came from the same place, from the same seed. And he says, that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Come on. If Jesus is not ashamed to call you with all your mistakes, with all your faults, his brother, how come you are ashamed to call somebody whom he has called his brother or sister a sinner? to terms I can't just fathom how we see our brothers and our sisters in the Lord Jesus still calls that guy you see in a certain way his brother that lady his sister and if Christ sees them that way who are you who gave you that audacity to regard them as somebody who actually doesn't belong to the faith and has to be giving up on? No. The word brothers is the word Adelphus. And the word Delphus is the, is the word womb. In other words, we all came from the same womb with Christ. We came from the same womb with Christ. If Christ sees you as a brother, how do you look down on another brother? On another sister. In the Lord. No. You're going to see something. So powerful in Acts chapter 9. Verse 10 to 17. This speaks. To the post encounter of Apostle Paul. Then called Saul. On the road to Damascus. When he met the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 9, 10 to 17. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in the vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias 
coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have a head from many about this man. Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Look at the description he gives to Paul. This man. This man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. So you see, Paul was not part of the brethren. And because of that, he was described by Ananias as this man. And then to his brethren, he says, to your saints. So you can see how Ananias had regard to the saints, to his brothers. And sees Paul, who was not part, as an outcast. So clear. He, in other words, this guy is not part of the family. So he says, this man, I have heard a lot about this man. And what he is doing to your saints, to my brothers and sisters, to the ones that you have called holy, the one that you have set apart in Jerusalem. 14 to 17. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Look at the 15. Look at the 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I love the 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The moment the Lord endorsed, oh Jesus, Saul, that man who was evil, that man who was like an outcast, that man who was a murderer, that man that nobody wanted to have anything to do with, the moment the Lord said, he is a chosen vessel of mine. Ananias called him brother. I'm sure that if it was today's church and how we see our own selves, how we see the saints, you should, have, you should have seen what people are going to say. We have to make sure that he does 21 days fast. We, we have to scrutinize and, and find out about his background. There are, there are so many religious routines. 
that we may have to take that person through before we call him a brother. But the, the moment the spirit of the Lord ministered to Ananias, a man of the spirit, he just walked to, uh, to, to, to Saul and he says, brother Saul. In other words, you are a part of us. You, you came with me out of the same womb. We are in partnership together. Our sins have been forgiven together. We are living a new life in Christ together. You are part of the church. And you, we receive you as part of us and into the fold. What happened to us? What really happened to this church we have today? This is not the church that Christ died to give birth to. This is not it. Look at 2 Peter 1, 5 to 9. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 9. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, Love. Now, check. The moment the virtues got to godliness, he says godliness must lead to brotherly kindness and love. In other words, no matter how godly you think you are, if you don't have brotherly kindness, and it is not rooted in love. Everything you have there is useless. Your diligence is useless. Your faith is useless. Your virtue, your knowledge, your, your, your self-control, your perseverance is useless. And your godliness has nothing in it. It must lead to brotherly kindness rooted in love. And that's why the verse 8 to 9 says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. 
It is a fact that for anybody who treats a brother or a sister anyhow, they have forgotten how they came into the fellowship. They have forgotten who they were before. They have forgotten that even now they are still stuff. They wallow in and they are struggling with issues themselves. It means they have forgotten about how they were cleansed from their old sins. Look at your brother. Look at them with brotherly kindness. Look at them with love. Look at them with care. Look at them with deep bond. This is your brother. You're coming from the same womb. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 15. Let's take this thing deeper. Let's take this thing deeper. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 15. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Hold on. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The word yoke there is not the yoke in egg. The word yoke there in those days was a kind of an agricultural tool that was used to plow. You then see that the farmer will put together two bulls. And when he does that, he would put a wooden bar on their neck. Okay, and then he would actually make sure that they are plowing together. Now, he needs to be very careful the bulls, the two animals he put together. Why? Because they are going to be plowing together as a team. If one is taller than the other or one is more stronger than the other, they cannot pull the bar together. And so what is going to happen is that one's neck will be strangled because the other will be pulling too fast or the bar would tilt because one is taller. And so the other's neck will be strangling. In the same way, when a believer teams up with an unbeliever, he says one's neck will be strangled. The partnership will suffer. <laughs> Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So unbelievers there includes your biological brother or sister who is an unbeliever. That gets too strong, you know. 
it will take you back to the scripture Jesus spoke. I think in Luke and also in Matthew. That <laughs> if anyone will follow me, they must deny. They must hate. In other versions, the word actually hate is the word prefer. They must hate their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, their wife, their children. He speaks to all those who are very close. So all he's saying is that you should prefer him to them. In the same way, the one with whom you are born spiritually with and you are in union with because of the fellowship in the Father is of a stronger bond with you than your biological brother who is an unbeliever. And therefore, if you are to team up, he says, make sure you team up with the one that you are in faith with. Why? Because both of you are born of God. Both of you have the same mind. Both of you have the same heart. Both of you share the same inheritance in Christ. What it means is that if somebody has to give you counsel, the Holy Ghost can use that person better to speak to you than your biological brother or sister. Sometimes some of us say, oh, I have a best friend. My best friend is an unbeliever. And, and the way he gives me good counsel. Oh, yes, he gives you good counsel. Doesn't mean he gives you divine counsel. Because a good counsel does not necessarily mean it's a divine or a spiritual counsel. The spirit of discernment is not discerning bad from good. The spirit of discernment actually means that you are discerning from what is right and what is seemingly right. So some things can be said as good. It doesn't mean that is what God wants you to do. When it comes to popular wisdom and worldly wisdom, that thing is good. But when it comes to the wisdom of God, they may be telling you to do something that is not in the will of the Father. It has led many of us out of the will of God, out of place. Because we don't understand. That's why Apostle Paul continues to ask you, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Amazing. The word fellowship there is not the, the Greek word koinonia. No, it's the word metche. Fellowship 
which actually means partnership. The, the spelling is M-E-T-C-H-E. Partnership. So he's asking you, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? You have been born of God. And because you have been born of God, you have the nature of righteousness. The unbeliever is not born of God. He's still born of Adam. He's still born of the world. And therefore, he is lawless in nature. His heart and mind does not tilt towards the things of God because that is not his nature. And what communion has light with darkness? What communion, the word communion there is now the word koinonia. What fellowship? What commonness has light and darkness? Go back to Genesis 1. And God divided the light from the darkness. Because the light and the darkness has no fellowship, has nothing in common. When light comes, darkness has to go. Where there is darkness, there is no light. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and what communion has light and darkness? 15. And what accord, what agreement, that's the word, what concord, what agreement has Christ and Belial? That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. So it's either that the person is of Christ or he is of the devil. What part has a believer, one who believes in the Christ, with one who does not believe in Christ? There is no fellowship. How can an unbeliever contribute to your walk with God? For some of us who are about to marry, how do you marry an unbeliever? Where is the commonness? And some of you say, oh, I've done business with, un with unbelievers and they are actually better than believers. Well, go ahead. We don't understand these things. I'm not saying don't do business with an unbeliever at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm telling you that if you can't find one, then you can maybe choose an unbeliever. But do everything you can to get a believer. The reason why we are having the kinds of problems we are having in church is because we are not taught right. Listen to me. If your pastor... Keeps teaching you about how to make money. 
how to get rich. And every day, your mind and your heart is being tilted towards how you are going to get money. And then when you came to church, the one who has money is given the best place, is given the best share. He's always used to intimidate everybody. He's the one that speaks and the pastor takes. He's the one that talks and everybody, I mean, gets quiet. Everybody begins to shake. Okay? He's the one that everybody looks to. Tell me why the guy who is poor will not do just anything to become rich because we have changed what the fellowship of the brethren is. We have lost focus. And James speaks to this clearly. In James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see how he describes that? Evil thoughts. In other words, thoughts of carnality. How you weigh who is spiritual and who is not spiritual. How you weigh who is blessed and who is not blessed is in how material. They are. In what car they drive. In what attire they are wearing. What brand of attire. If it's Gucci. Then yeah man. He must be given the best place. He must be giving audience. We choose our leaders actually based. On how much money they have. These are some of the mistakes. Listen to me very carefully. We have made in the church. And that's why the church has become what it is. Until we all go back to the basics. To do church the way God ordained it to be. According to the pattern. Would always go in circles. Let me continue. Listen, my beloved. My beloved brethren. So he tells you, he tells you, he was a pastor. He was actually, James was the resident pastor of the, 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 sorry, the Jerusalem church. And so he was speaking to the congregants, the congregation. He was telling them exactly what was happening in the church. 
So this is a local church pastor who is seeing what is going on in the church. And he says, this is not how the church was mandated and structured. We were there. James is a brother of our Lord Jesus. A blood brother. Biologically. And then spiritually. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blame that noble name by which you are called? Do they not blaspheme, sorry, that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, what is the royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if any of you do not commit adultery, but you murder you have become a transgressor to the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. By the law of liberty. We are judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amazing. 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 I pray that we shall judge each other not according to the law of Moses but according to the perfect law of liberty, that he who Christ has made free is free. He who Christ has called into the fold is rich in all things. Our identity makes none less and makes none superior. We are all one. Because of the blood. The further their village. That the blood went. And called them out. In that little corner. For which has no name. And is not popular. It's not even on the map. Tells you how God sees them. And how expensive they are. In his eyes. We are God's treasure. In earthen vessels. 
that the excellency of God might be revealed to man. I pray that this understanding dawns on us. That the most precious thing we have in common is our faith in the Lord Jesus. It has nothing to do with our fame, our status in society, the car we drive, the house we live in. All of these things has nothing to do with the identity and the seal of our birth to the day of redemption. We are brothers. We came from the same seed. The incorruptible seed of God. We're so loved and cherished by him. Let's stay together. Stick together. In fire and in water. Let's stick together. In the vicissitudes of life. Let's stick together. In persecution. Let's stick together. In pain and agony. Let's stick together. In much and in abundance. Let's stick together. We are an army. We are a team. We synergize. To showcase Christ. The attention is not on any of us. It's all on him. That he be glorified. And souls be won all over the world to him. That in glory. We all receive our rewards. As we go to our eternal home. Where we truly belong. Let nothing divide us. Let's not make ourselves a mockery to our world. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom that mocks itself, that fights against itself, has no place in the future. This is the body of Christ. Let us hold the sanctity of the body. It can only be together. Nothing more and nothing less. I pray that this gets to us. That in the church, we have one common faith, one common identity. One common blood give us entrance into this fellowship. The Lord bless you on every side. Grace, glorious grace. Grace, glorious grace. At the cross, you called it finished. Thank you for listening to Grace Bills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor, Caris Center International. We believe the word has begun a good work in you. May God's amazing grace lead you to a peaceful and joy-filled life. Caris Center International, living heaven on earth.